This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. Hello, Hal, do you read me? Do you read me, Hal? Do you read me, Hal? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. I read you. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Come on down and jump on this shit. Sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we talk all things movies from first-time directors, indie films, art house, and much, much more. Today on the podcast, we talk the 2015 documentary film, Maroon, from filmmakers Jimmy Chin and Shai Vassarhelyi, that follows three elite climbers struggling to find their way through obsession and loss as they attempt to climb Mount Maroon, one of the most coveted prizes in the high-stakes game of Himalayan big wall climbing. The film won the U.S. Documentary Audience Award at the 2015 Sundance Film Festival and was shortlisted as a nominee at the 88th Academy Awards. I'm Gabe Bienendahl, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast, and I'm joined by none other than Alan Martindale, veteran podcaster and editor. Alan, how the hell are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm ready to run up a mountain. Man, I'm not. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, it's... Uh... Everyone knows, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but I think most people have heard of Free Solo, that documentary that Jimmy Chin also uh, directed, co-directed. I, I don't know anybody who knows this, this film. And my brother is actually the one who pointed it out. He kind of, he, he lives uh, in New Jersey, so he's not a climber, but he gets super into these, into these, uh, the climbing and the, in the the hiking and the outdoor films and that kind of stuff and so he he pointed me in the direction of this a couple months ago and i was just absolutely enamored by this by this movie i just there's something about seeing guys do these crazy feats and they know how dangerous it is they know how scary it is but they're so driven by it to me it's fascinating to try and tap in and, and try and relate to, to that part deep inside of them. Like, what is, what is it that, get, that makes them so driven to do this nearly suicidal thing, whatever it is, whether it's climbing or, or the big wave surfing or the, the, the snowboarding down these huge mountains? Like, it's, it's just crazy to me that these guys have that in them. Yeah, I'm also, that was one of the things that stood out to me was this complete fascination of them the, the, in, the inner uh, drive to want to do these. I, I had a hard time figuring out what it was. They'd actually don't really go into it. There's some personal things and some of the things that happened to them that are tragedies that I think motivated them in some way or another, but there's still something internal that I wasn't quite sure what drives them. It's at, like you said, it's absolutely fascinating uh, I was enthralled from the beginning. I mean, originally at the start, it just felt like a kind of simply made documentary. And then you start getting into these guys and interweaving these stories and you start figuring out, man, these guys have mental toughness like I've never seen. Like, I can't imagine being on a mountain. I can't, I don't want to be 20, degree, 20 degrees below zero hanging on a rock wall. Like that doesn't even seem appealing to me. Listening to the avalanches, like- 
flow off the mountain over your tents that you're perched on. Like it's just, to me, that's insane. Yeah. These guys, it, it's pretty incredible. I think I can see why it received these accolades from Sundance and even was shortlisted as a nominee. I mean, even that feat in itself is, is pretty remarkable. If you were shortlisted down to the last 15 out of a category of like six nominees, that's pretty amazing considering all the documentaries right. that are made every year. And what, one of the things that, that I, that I laughed about was, and we'll get into these characters and talk about them, but Conrad, one of the main characters, one of the main subjects of the film, he says that too. He looks over at his friend at Jimmy and goes, why do we do this stuff? <laughs> right. I think that I, there's got to be some searching in them too. They, they probably don't know why they're attracted to this. Yeah, this was a, I'm a, I'm a fanatic for documentary. So I was glad you chose this because um, I, there's something about documentaries. I think it's the visceral vibe, the, the, the relatability, not on the sense that like, of course I can relate to them athletically or to them from a standpoint of, of uh, the sport that they're pursuing in this case, in this case, just extreme rock climbing, which is insane, but just the perseverance. I mean, I think there's a relatability in that doc for me, which is, I think we'll get into a little bit more as we get towards the end and I kind of summarize it. But for me, I just love that idea that they, and that's what I like about documentaries in general, which is usually there's always something you can pull away from them. And even if they're different vehicles, like I don't rock climb, I don't climb mountains, we can make an application to our own life. And I always find that to be pretty fascinating in some way or another, but I'm fascinated by documentaries. I just eat them up, dude. I eat them up, HBO documentaries, uh, the ones that come out on Netflix now. And I've noticed this huge proliferation of documentaries over the last decade. And I think the streaming platforms have a lot to do with that because they just pump them out now. Yeah, yeah, it, it's actually interesting. Uh, first of all, I, I think it's interesting that this is the first doc we've done on the show. Yeah, yeah which this is, is a little surprising because I, I love documentaries too. And I um, there's there's very few that I that I would want to watch. I mean, honestly, if I'm if I'm just going to sit down and I'm kind of just want to chill and, and watch something more than likely, I'm going to want to choose a documentary, which is weird. Cause we don't talk about that very often. Um, we we've done a lot of narrative and fiction stuff and, and that's super fun, but it's, I was just excited to, to dive into a doc. I, and I wonder, do you think the popularity of, of documentaries now, you mentioned the streaming platforms. Uh, do you think that now, because there's so much content out there, and we have such a huge selection that it's almost like it's a little stream of consciousness going on in my brain right now, but it's almost like uh, they needed content. So, so they started bringing on these documentaries and people like the general public started realizing, yeah, these are pretty sweet. And, and especially like the true crime stuff, that's getting really big. Um, and now I, it just seems like it's, there, there are more and more of them out and available, whereas maybe they weren't profitable in the old system. And so they weren't pushed out as much. I don't know. I think that's a great point. I think the point is that it was harder to sell on a bigger theatrical release. And now that you have these platforms that people can just microscopically select stuff, the documentary is cheaper to make most of the time, if not always. So they're able to invest less, but then get more return on the other side. Uh, not to say they're not difficult, they are, but I think the streaming platforms now have provided that 
hey, let's bake these because we can do it for a lot less money and still garner a ton of interest. I mean, there was that one, not to get too off tangent, but I think it's important to kind of what we're talking about documentary wise. There was that one on, and I didn't even watch it, to be honest. This is the one, it's the True Crime one on Netflix came out like four or five years ago. Something murder, Mr. Um, damn it. No, I can't remember. The I know. Name. I know. The, I know the one you're talking about. Of it course. Was a, I, it was oh, a series. Yeah. And it was great. It was fantastic. I didn't see it. I actually didn't watch it. But but what I mean is like that just blew up culturally. Right. right. That, that just took like it caught fire and everyone was like, oh, you got to see this. You got to watch this. And I, so I think they realized at some point over the last five, six, seven years, hey, we can make these documentaries, do it for less money and just garner a huge, you know, bubble of interest from the public. So um, I think that's part of it too. I think the other ease is the filmmaker. Like I've been able myself to co-produce a documentary for Red that we ended up selling to Red Bull, which was also an action sports documentary. And the ease, not the ease, it was hard. And there was things that presented themselves that made it difficult, but the ability for novice young filmmakers to jump in and do something that eventually had a wide scale release was available, you know, because we didn't need tons of resources. We didn't need, you know, 40 crew members and three executive producers. And we needed three, four people and we could go make the story if the story was there. Right. So all those things add up that I think ultimately kind of lend themselves to that, to that format. Uh, yeah. I mean, you mentioned how culturally, how these things are getting huge. Like think of Tiger King. It was Tiger huge. King. Getting a lockdown. Everyone making a murderer was the one you're talking about. Thank I was, you. That's the one. Which was fantastic. Um, and, and even going back to, and we'll talk, you know, since we're, we're on a podcast here talking about podcasts, serial, that is what launched podcasting, into, I mean, I remember because I, I, for years I, I was trying to get people to listen to my podcast and listen to other podcasts and people were like, well, I don't really know what it is. And then Serial came, which was essentially an audio documentary. And that just catapulted. I saw a huge incline. Suddenly everyone knew what a podcast was. Everyone wanted to start a podcast, it, you know, and, and it also catapulted true crime back into the, uh, the, the zeitgeist. So the, the power of documentaries is, is pretty incredible um, and, and kind of starting to edge back into this one. I know, like you said, you, you were involved in a, in, in a similar, uh, in a documentary production that was, that was in similar ilk and yeah, I, action I, I'm sports, pretty, snowboarding. Yep. Right. Are, are you much of an outdoorsman? Like, do you like to hike? Do you like to snowboard? Do you like to do any of those things? I used to be, then I got old. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> Oh. So it's a good question. It's funny you bring that up because in this, so I co-produced this documentary that we ended up selling to Red Bull. And so I worked with two young filmmakers. They're 12 years, my junior. It was inspirational in, in, in the process of making the documentary. Cause we watch documentaries, at least ones like uh, Maru and, and I, you get inspired. Right. So while right. I was making the documentary, aside from the, the story of the subject we were following was this snowboarder from Africa, but watching these youngsters uh, who became my good friends, but watching them kind of go through this process was energizing to me as a little bit older guy. Do you know what oh, I mean? Sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's fun to see kind of the younger generation get excited about the same things you used to be super excited. And you, you know, I still am excited about this stuff, but it just, it reminds you that there is still passion out there. You know, we don't fall into the, 
It reminds and, me that I got to get off my fat ass and get out and do something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Be the 24 um, year old that I once was the 23 exactly. year old that was out on the mountain snowboarding or hiking and doing things and camping and like outdoors. And it's interesting now because of COVID and everything, we're all locked up and man, how much more do you almost desire to do those things? And you watch something like this and you get even more inspired. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you know, like I like to hike, like it's fun. I I'm not, uh, an outdoorsman, but I, I you know, I don't like to, I, I don't camp, but like my son and I, we tried twice this last summer to, to, uh, hike Mount Tipinogos, which if you're in, in Utah, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fairly big mountain. It's not climbing by it's a hike, you know, it's like a day hike. Um, I can't remember how many miles, not a ton, but we, we didn't make it both times. First time, because we had some bad weather come in. Second time it's just, we were just wiped. And so when I'm watching these guys who are on the mountain for like 16 days and they're running out of food and they're, they're, they're literally perched hanging from a cliff, their tent is hanging off like against a rock wall and they're suspended in air. And I, I, to me, I'm, I'm thinking, I can't even imagine, I can't even do a day hike. Like to me, that's too much. Where do these guys find this? Like where they're out of food. To me, that's, that's it. That's when I'm done. Like when, when you are getting short on rations and food, um, I don't understand why you can keep going because without food, you're not going to have any strength you're not going to have any energy. Why? I mean, honestly, you're just setting yourself up for failure at that point. Yeah. The mental toughness is unbelievable. You think about, we like sports and particularly you and I like basketball and you think about certain mental toughness of, of playing a basketball game at the highest level. You know, you think about, we always, we think about whether it's LeBron James or Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, they have this mental toughness. And to be honest with you, these guys that are on that mountain surpass that mental toughness by whatever fold, because to sit there, no like you're, and so you're, and I'm not taking anything away from Kobe or LeBron or those guys. I think they're fascinating in their own mental toughness, but these guys are like, it's like a whole nother level. Dude, basketball players get tired when they have to play two games back to back, like one night after the other. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, but, but I mean, like, still, I mean, you know, you go no, like, no. We, like LeBron, there's something there. You're carrying a, you know, that, uh, that weight, that, uh, that mantle for 18 years and you're playing in and out all day. And I get it. This, but what these guys are doing on the mountain is like, there's that level. And then these guys are like, exactly. Yeah. And, and that was my point is like basket basketball is incredibly tough. Like football, they play once a week for a reason, you know, because they're getting beat up all the time. And they can't, they physically and mentally can't play more often than that. Um, but these climbers are literally, they're climbing up a flat surface. There's no, like, there's no, especially in this documentary, they go to this mountain, Maru, that's never been climbed. It's never been summited before. No one has ever made it to the top. There is no route planned out for them. There is no, they, they, the only rations they have are what they carry with them. And they're up there for weeks. So to me, now then I go and I, I watch, you know, Steph Curry or Luka Doncic and they're, they're tired because they played last night. You know, it's yeah. like, 
Nah, no, dude. Or, or in Kawhi Leonard's case, I'm going to take a rest day and sit there. Exactly. Stage. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. These guys, I, and I just kept putting that in my notes, which was mental toughness is, is unbelievable. The thing, too, is, is even during, so that first summit or the first attempt. So that's one of the things you have three primary uh, climbers, they've all teamed up. Uh, one's named Jimmy, who also is the director of the film and does most of the camera work. Then you also have uh, um, uh, Conrad, who's the older, more, he's the most experienced climber. He's kind of the legend, so to speak. And then thirdly, you have uh, their, their uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Renan. Thank you. And so you have these three guys that team up that all kind of want to try to accomplish something that's never been accomplished. And so they go to the Himalayas to hike or not hike, but to climb this mountain. And uh, which in, in a lot of research I was doing too, and, and I could be off here. I'm not a, a specialist in this, but uh, really, if you look at it from the perspective of an all in, it's the hardest place to go. It's the hardest place to summit. Like even yeah. looking at like something like Everest, it's, it's supposedly because even Jimmy and Conrad had like summited Everest three or four times together. So yeah, it, I mean, they, and they make it sound like Everest was no big deal. I know, I I know. they're like, we did it. Um, Conrad even skied off it, you know, like yeah, exactly. Conrad <laughs> just took a, he just skied off it. Yeah. Um, yeah, or Jimmy or whoever it was, but nonetheless, yeah, I mean, this. So they go to this 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 Maru, and it's called the Shark's Fin. And when you see that mountain, that's incredible. It looks literally like a shark's fin. And it does. It, the, the elevation something at like 20,000 feet once you hit the summit. Just as high as a plane flies. Unbelievable. <laughs> that's crazy. the other thing in terms of the physicality and the athleticism of these guys, which is the conditioning's got to be unbelievable because to do what they're doing, climbing the mountain on a bare-faced wall – and then as you're elevating, I mean, anytime you get into elevation, you, you know, you lose that sense of oxygen and then your blood doesn't oxygen, oxygenate the same. And so their conditioning's unbelievable. And then they're yeah, doing it I, on no food. They're doing it on no food. And you almost get the sense that they're not, they don't, it, here, here, I mean, here's one of the, the uh, and I, I don't even want to say issues because I, I love this film. And I feel like when I start picking it apart, I feel like I'm being too harsh because I think it's outstanding. But there are some things that they kind of... You stub I your toe this week, and then you leave the podcast, stub your toe and cry. Like, oh, I can't do it yeah, anymore. Exactly, That's, yeah, how exactly. We are. That's how we are. Yeah, exactly. But uh, They're I, suffering there, on a mountain. There were some things I, I wish... I would have liked to see them get more in-depth with. Like, I felt like there were some things that were kind of glossed over uh, that I would have liked to... Like the conditioning, like that to me, that's kind of fascinating. Is it just because they're climbing all the time and the recovery? I mean, think about the recovery. They, they mentioned that after the first attempt to summit Maru, Jimmy was in a wheelchair. Like he had to get down a mountain and that the way I picture it in my head is he expended so much energy trying to get up and then get back down that as soon as they, they, they get back down to earth, he just kind of collapses, you know, because he's just used every ounce of energy. And he was in a wheelchair for weeks after that. And Ramon uh, had frostbite, right? Yeah, frostbite and turf toe. And it's it just, it, it, the condition 
of their bodies and the wear and tear that they experience trying to do this is is unbelievable. And then when they're on the way down, Conrad's even saying to himself, okay, well, when I come back, <laughs> do I come back after monsoon season or before month? Like to even have that idea, like I'm coming back here after you, it just kicked your ass and almost killed you. That's the mental toughness that you talked about. To me, that's, it's just nuts. The, um, and, and go Jim, ahead, sir. No, I was just going to say, Jimmy says in his, in his, uh, in that attempt, that failed first attempt says, I am, I'm never coming back. Yeah. Right. Right. He's a smart one. He said, we lost. Exactly. And to me that, I mean, that's my first, when they're sitting in that, in that tent and they're, they're like, you can hear the avalanches. That's to me, that's terrifying. Well, let's talk about it because it's, it's called a portal ledge. And essentially for those that don't know, I was not, I mean, I had seen things like this, but this really, for me, defined it is they're climbing a, a, a vertical wall face. And then it's this pop-out tent called a portal ledge that they link and hook to the wall through different tools. Uh, and it just hangs there with rope and the three of them sleep in this tent. Oh God. So let's first talk about that because for me, I, when I was younger, I don't, I, I don't think I, I didn't have any fear of heights. As I've gotten older, funny enough, I've gotten scared of more scared of heights. I don't know Same. why. Same. I don't know why. I would be, I would never sleep. So if you're up there for two weeks, I would never sleep. And that's got to take a toll on your ability to climb the wall. I would think so. And then on top of that, you're not eating much. Their comfortability is crazy to me. I'm hanging it- on a wall linked with a little you know, uh, whatever it is, a little, a, 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 a nail essentially that's tapped into the right. wall and rope in a tent with three other people. What's this, what's to say this thing's going to hold? I'm nervous. Especially with avalanches that you can hear outside. Like that is terrifying. And then here's the thing, like, this is the, the fascinating thing for me is the filmmaking that goes along with this. Unbelievable. Because not only are you doing something that is, Insane. I mean, there's. I can't even overstate how difficult it is. Like, it's impossible to. You, you, you are trying to climb a mountain that's never been climbed, in conditions that are god awful. That people are not not meant to be in. Not not meant to even exist in at all. Let alone be up there for weeks in these conditions. And then on top of that, you have the presence of mind to get these gorgeous shots, to set up the camera, to get the interviews. Like to me, you it. it the fact that they're making this movie as they're doing this, uh, it makes me feel like you got to be better than the climbers. Like for Jimmy and for Renan, who are, who are from what I understand, the primary filmmakers in this, uh, to some extent, they have to be better than Conrad because they have, they're not just, they can't just, Conrad just has to focus on the mountain and getting up the mountain. These guys are focusing on this other aspect that as we all know, anyone who's ever, had anything to do with filmmaking knows it's extremely difficult on its own. Then add all these other elements on top of that. It's crazy. I mean, to me, it, I, I'm just trying to think you, they're talking about how you have to pack up everything you're going to need, including fuel, uh, tents, equipment, food, oxygen, anything you're going to need. And then add on that cameras and audio equipment. I mean, I don't know how much they brought. They probably kept it 
to a minimum, but still you have to add that onto it. To me, it's just unbelievable that they would even attempt to make a movie while they're doing this. The presence of mind to be able to stay in that mental state to go on top of uh, ascending this huge feat that's never been done, but to try and also be behind the camera lens is pretty astounding. It's pretty amazing. One thing that, uh, and like I said, I'm not really nitpicking. I, I loved the doc. I thought it was fantastic. But one thing is I wanted to see them just getting into each other. They were always mostly so, and maybe they just are because you have to be in that, in that mental state of just being a team. But I just wanted to hear, I wanted to see something in there where they just lay into each other. The only one that showed a little of that was Renan where he's a little bit like, they didn't give a shit about me. He said something. He didn't say it that way. Right. right. He, he talked about how he was really suffering and Jimmy and Conrad just kind of ignored it. Right. Well, especially the, the part where, where he thinks they're going down. Like he thinks we're done. We're out of food. We got nothing else. This is he, it. We're heading at down. this point. His, he can't feel his feet. And obviously the turf toe and the, the right. frostbiter kicked in to the extreme. Right. And he's ready to go. And, and he, he, he thinks that they're leaving and instead they're gearing up to continue up the mountain. I got to think at that point, tempers are going to flare a little bit. I wanted that, but I, I think, and I, I would guess, and this is not a nitpick. It's just, I think there was probably something there and they probably didn't really see the, the point in showcasing the, the complete frustration or the, the fighting or the arguing between them. That was the only thing. And it, it's not a big thing because I was enthralled and entertained the whole time. But I really was like, there's got to be a moment like having being a filmmaker in those moments, there are things that spike up and then emotions get high. And then things are said or there's a little back and forth. It's a little maybe aggressive. <laughs> right. There right. had to have been something there. And that was the only thing. Um, this, uh, the question I had for you was <laughs> logistics. Okay. Bathroom logistics on this thing. What are we I, doing here? I was wondering the whole time. What Hanging happened? on a tent, you know, 15,000 feet in the air. Uh, where are we shitting? Do you just let it loose? I don't know. I've been, dropped I, that from, you dropped that load from 15,000. It's going to, it's going to snowball, right? Take out an entire town at the bottom. <laughs> not only that it's 20 below so it's freezing on the way out yeah I, I i don't know like i i was actually wondering that the whole time i know that's a there's a little potty humor there but that's uh <laughs> i was I, wondering i think it's a legitimate question now because it's there aren't it's not even like you can just walk into the woods you know like you you're I literally mean, you find a crevice in the rock wall or <laughs> so man i don't know when That's, you pee does it freeze at 20 below i would think so right right i mean so i don't is it dangerous is it going to freeze back into i'm just asking dumb because i'm i'm naive i have no idea i know yeah i i, I was actually wondering the, that same thing the entire time i was time. curious though yeah yeah uh, it only stayed for a while because the movie had enough curiosity in it that i that i left that um there was one moment where i got the willies the the height willies because he opens the portal edge at night and he looks out conrad looks out he's hang, he's sitting next to the zipper door of the tent and then he opens it and looks out it's nighttime i just it, it actually physically gave me it like a, anxiety like the willies like oh my gosh what's he doing it, it's I, I know what you're talking 
I got that more in free solo than I did in this one, but there was a few moments where you get the perspective of it. And even when you don't like, like you said, middle of the night, he's hanging out of that tent, man. It's scary. Uh, like the whole thing. So we talk a lot, of, we've talked a lot about how films can drag and we get bored. This one, I could have watched this for another two hours. Like I was enthralled by it. Uh, it kind of sped through a lot of things too, which again, I don't want to nitpick, but to me, I would have liked to have seen some things explored because you have the three main stories, right? You have um, the first attempt at the ascent. Then you have uh, Renaud's accident when he's skiing with Jeremy Jones, who's a Utah County boy. Um, and he was actually a snowboarder I looked up to when I was younger. And, yeah, and was yeah. I know him. I don't know him personally, but I know who he is. Right. And then you have the third attempt at, or the second attempt, excuse me, at the ascent. So you have those, but you also have the three main characters and we got to get their stories. So to me, there's a lot going on in this and which is good because it keeps it going, but it also, I think it almost zips by too fast for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I was actually, I liked the timing. I could, I, I wouldn't have been upset if it had gone longer because I would have right. kept watching I liked the timing. I actually thought uh, that they, the filmmakers put a good um, uh, uh, tie in because you got to introduce three characters. And not only that, but they also tied in the backstory to these characters. They talked about Jimmy's backstory. They talked a little bit, not as much, but a little bit about Renan's backstory and then Conrad's backstory, which was quite fascinating to me. And then uh, all the obstacles and the struggles and things that those individuals went through in their own life that didn't involve climbing but the things that they went through with family or friends and things like that which i thought was really cool they gave some insight to that um and i liked it so i was okay with it i mean like i said i wouldn't have been upset if it had gone longer but i thought they they were efficient with their time right yeah i, I would agree with i would agree with that it, i really enjoyed learning about conrad's backstory and how I liked the the idea how they tied in his past and having a mentor. And then now they kind of bookended it with him be, being the mentor to these guys. Yeah. And I think, Jimmy, you take, like, this is Conrad's, this is his, I was going to say this is Everest, but obviously not. Um, this is his his magnum opus. Like, this is in Mount Olympus. This is, yeah, this is what he is. To the Greek, this is the Greek, this is it. Like, this is the biggest obstacle this, this is achievement this is this is what he wants it's, it's like the crowning achievement of his life almost or his at least his climbing career and instead of going up he he as a mentor says jimmy you you go ahead and lead us up you get to the summit like yeah, to yeah. me for him to do that was pretty incredible uh and i liked that they kind of they, they kind of showed they did what they could to discuss how, how when he was coming up, his mentor kind of did the same thing. And I, I liked that. And also, I don't know about you. I don't want to be too, too harsh on Conrad, but to me, it redeemed him a little bit because uh, first of all, his, his mentor died on a climb. Yeah. Muggs, Muggs was his mentor and he died. And he died. And then his best friend died in, in an his, avalanche. His rock climbing partner and best friend died in an avalanche with him with him survived and he survived and then he married his best friend's wife to me like there's a couple there's a couple unwritten rules in life 
And that's one of them, man. You don't like, I don't care if he's dead. You don't do that. Yeah. I thought initially that was really strange. I was like, damn. And then I thought, look, at the same time, I'm kind, I was, I was happy for a few people. And I mean, I was happy for Conrad cause he lived, you don't want to see people die, but I was right. happy for uh, his kids, uh, Alex's kids. And I know that sounds weird because they're not tr- truly his kids, but the idea of not having a father in your life is tough on kids. So I like the idea that, that he stepped in and basically adopted the kids and yeah, he adopted them as a, as a father figure. And that's I, huge. That's important. I know it's dramatic that their father died, especially the, and he felt guilty by the way, Conrad felt a lot of guilt and depression about that. He felt he had survivor's guilt. And yes. And I've known the idea that he was there for, I like that because they need that man. Kids need that. I agree. I agree. But I mean, like weird. it's, it's weird. Like I, I and I understand because I, uh, two of my three kids aren't my biological kids, but I raised them and I love them as if they were my own. So I, I get that. I understand that. But I also think like, it's, what? how old were they when this happened? Like, what are they thinking about this? Because that's, if if my my best, my dad's best friend, my dad died, my dad's best friend starts shacking up with my mom. I'm not sure how happy I'm going to be with that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's I, think they were, I, can't, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't look into the, I think they're relatively young, but and so I think that helps alleviate some. Absolutely, of it. absolutely. I and think is the older they get, the more strange it becomes, for sure. Probably. It's just I don't know. It that rubbed me a little. That rubbed me it the was, wrong way. Not, I agree. I was kind of like, wait a minute, because they don't allude to that, and then they kind of throw it in your face. Right. And they go, right. hey, by the way, Conrad married Alex's wife, and you're like, what? <laughs> and then not only that, but he's doing the same stuff that Alex did. Yeah. Like she, it's not like he's like I'm gonna st- I'm done climbing. I'll just be there for you. He's putting them through through it all over again. Well, she mentions she mentions that too. She's like, I couldn't help it. Right. I fell in love with another rock climber, and you're like, okay, right, all right, right. So, um, so seeing him let Jimmy take take the lead at the end there, to me, it kind of redeemed his character a little bit. I mean, I didn't hold it against him because he's a very likable guy. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I think he's he's a good presence, and uh, he's not a villain by any stretch. But to me, that rubbed me the wrong way for sure. Yeah, it was a little weird, but I did like him as a person. His personality seemed energetic and sincere. I liked him as a as an individual. I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> I get what you're saying. Um, but I liked how they, and that's what I mean. They weaved these stories in. You had Conrad, who's this elite rock climber uh, who has these partners who pass away, and then he's He's trying to achieve this thing for them as well. And I liked that as, as well, you know, trying to do the thing that they have, they were unable to do together. Yeah. I thought that was cool. What did you think about uh, John Krakauer? Who's John? Krakauer? So he was, he's, yeah, he's the author. He wrote, well, he's in this movie. He's, he's the guy who's kind of telling us the, he's kind of filling in the pieces he's he's an author he wrote in uh into oh, thin air he wrote yeah, I know in a while yeah yeah, yeah sorry he, i was getting well i was so caught up on the three main guys i forgot that they right, had that right. journalist in there or the writer right right what, what did you think because i don't know if you've ever read any of his books i read into the wild um i actually know uh well i had a teacher back in high school who was um actually on the expedition of in into thin air that he wrote about and from what I understand, it's a very controversial 
book. It's it may it probably was not um, how he presented it. There were, and I haven't read it, so I don't know. I couldn't tell you. But from what I understand, there's some things that he wrote about in that book that aren't necessarily true, and he made some people look a lot worse than they actually are. So uh, it was a little interesting to see his take on all of this. I thought it was kind of fun. I I enjoyed him. And you can see that where he might take certain liberties uh, because he's a hell of a wordsmith and really comes across with that sugary rhetoric. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, he's, yeah. he's really good at putting things together. And so he was, he was, I liked him because of that. Like he was able to articulate things that, that made sense to the climbers and whether those were fabricated or not, I would never know. Cause I thought he did them so well and he delivered it so nicely, you know? Yeah. And I don't think this stuff was fabricated. I just think that the book into the, into, into thin air, which was about an Everest expedition that went wrong. I think that one was, but I've read a couple of his books. I read under the banner of heaven and into the wild. And I thought they were fantastic. So doesn't, doesn't he was, Conrad find one of the bodies that was left on Everest in one of his expeditions? He they, did. They talk about that, right? Mallory's body, George Mallory. Yeah, there was, yeah. A, there was a famous, not fame. I shouldn't, I mean, I guess it's famous. I guess so. They, I mean, they made it sound like it was a famous thing. And he had found Let's that see. he was he was on one of the expeditions that he was going on to ascend, and then he found the body or something. Yeah, Which yeah. Is, I think it was George Mallory uh, who who took part in the first three British expeditions to Mount Everest. So okay, so one of the first on troops Everest. to actually go up there. So he so is that body old and just bones? <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess it's got to be. I mean, how when do you just stumble across? Especially when is, that, when is that first, one of those first three expeditions, when does that go? That, that was... 40s, 60s, 50s, 40s? How, how long ago are we talking? In the 20s. 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 That body's just bones. Yeah, it's just bones. I mean, maybe not because it's so cold. I don't know. Oh, that's true. That's interesting. That's an interesting point. What do you do if you stumble across a dead body I mean, you just bring it down and then they, they tell you it's George Mallory. I don't know. They're like, who is this? Ted Williams. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dumb inside joke for cryogenetic freezing. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it Ted Williams that wanted to do that? Um, I think so. Yeah. So yeah, he finds a body there, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I thought the weaving together of all the stories, one of the things that I found fascinating was after they, uh, they, the first attempt when they failed and uh, Jimmy, Jimmy and uh, Renan are out on that, uh, that it's like a commercial shoot with those snowboarders and they're doing something and another avalanche, man, those avalanches are deadly. And so dead. How he came out of that, at least how they described the story and the aftermath footage was like, that was insane how, how did he serve jimmy survive that avalanche i have no idea and then, i mean he's so chill that even after he just kind of looks like his his regular self and shaken up a little bit like he shows his hands trembling but he's just still like a smiley happy self and to me man I, i'm if if i have one of those things happen to me i'm never going back on a mountain ever again no backcountry skiing for alan no no I always wanted to when I was younger, but absolutely not. And then Renan, they go on this other and this little uh, and Renan. This was just before that they were with Renan and Renan had basically fell over a cliff and really got injured. Like 
I mean, he was, it was, it was on the verge of being a vegetable, brain damage. Uh, I mean, that was insane. His, his turn, his turnaround to recover and, and then want to go on the second expedition was to me unbelievable. Miraculous. I mean, he's an Iron Man. Like, uh, how, how is that even possible? And everyone said, don't do it. And, and uh, the fact that he did it was pretty incredible. I think as well, a personality, he's not quite as engaging as Jimmy and Conrad in terms of his dynamic energy. There's something about him, though. Like, he's a little... There's something mysterious about him that made, yeah. made him intriguing. Yeah, definitely. And the, the, the fact that those two things happened, the, the, his accident and then the avalanche that happened that Jimmy got caught in. Four days later. Four, four days. days. Like, to me, if there's ever a sign to stop doing what you're doing, that's it, right? Like, to me, I'm bailing. But instead, Renan's in the hospital. Jimmy's visiting him. Conrad's visiting him. And he's like, we're going we're gonna to go back to Maru, you know? And, and, and I just love that. They're like, we didn't have the heart to tell him. Mean, we, dude, you're wrecked. Like, you, you're probably never going to walk again. Right. And, and not only that, but the whole thing, to, and I, I can't remember how they described it exactly, but he's so, uh, he would be prone to having a stroke if he went into that altitude. Yeah, something about a pinched, one of the nerves, not the nerves, one of the blood, the blood vessels in your neck, something about it being pinched and then getting an, a clot that could potentially go right. up and cause problems like strokes. And that was a, a possibility. It seemed like a pretty heavy possibility. That was the one thing that after, when they went to do the second attempt, uh, the fact that you, you know, there's about 20 minutes left in the film and then you see them really looking like they're going to achieve it. Like they might get to the top and then they throw in that little narrative curveball of Renan and he can't, he's like, can't talk. Like he can't communicate and Conrad and Jimmy are absolutely there. They seem to be petrified, like scared for him because they think he's having a stroke. I mean, he did, right? It looked like he did from the footage. I think he did. I mean, and that was one of the things that I wanted. I wish they would explain because really all they said, and I don't know, maybe they just didn't want to look irresponsible. I don't know, but they just kind of said, we never really knew what it was. And they just kind of skated past it. To me, I would have liked to get a little bit more explanation into what happened to him. If you it, watch I, I that was... footage, though, it, I mean, man, I know you're just exhausted. And it's, but when he lays down in that tent, when he gets to that. I thought he was dead. I, I was like, he looks like he had a stroke. And they even yeah. said he couldn't talk, like literally couldn't formulate words out of his mouth. I'm, I'm going to say that's a pretty clear sign of a stroke. Right. So think about this. This, this mountain has already kicked their ass before. They're coming up now a second time after some pretty traumatic events. And they're in much worse shape than they were the first time. And they are, they're closer as a unit. And I think that's what propelled them to the top. And that, to me, that's the driving force between or for this entire story from start to finish every storyline in, in between i think it's all about um i don't want to just say friendship because that sounds kind of corny but it kind of is about 
the what you can do when you guys when people work together and are a unit and are as intertwined and, and as close as they are and that's what propelled them to the top yeah i like but i like that i mean i like that they that, that you see them overcome their personal obstacles and then they come together as a team and they overcome what they previously failed uh to do which was uh ascend uh maru which which was great like they came back together after going and tackling through all the both personal and team obstacles it's very cool to see him to see him achieve it i felt i mean obviously not nearly the level i'm sure they felt when they when they made it but i felt a sense of achievement too i was proud for them i was happy for them yeah i don't get that gets to the top and then he kind of yells out mugs who was his mentor that died and had attempted maru twice and never made it and he yells his name out that was cool that was really cool and it's i mean the whole time you're thinking there's just no way like climbers who are in perfect shape failed no one has made it to the top and then these guys are coming up this dude's having a stroke this he also had a brain injury not like a couple months ago you know like this dude was just an avalanche like well both of them by the way conrad and jimmy are both avalanche survivors right that's right exactly yeah like, what are the and conrad, conrad has lost two very important people from climbing like the whole thing the fact that they've oh that they that they they overcome all that and they're they're i just picture them climbing up there like a bunch of rag dolls just beat to shit and whereas other other guys who have been in tip-top shape and not dealing with brain injuries and strokes and all that stuff didn't make it to me that that's what's so cool about this story and yeah. the whole time they're filming it like how yeah, lucky are we to be able to to witness it and the fact that he was they were cognizant enough to not only climb but actually start to put a story together for us to watch it that's pretty cool. Love it. Love it. I mean, I, I, I know it's a creative endeavor and they had a lot of fun, but I really did feel like this was, man, this just sounds corny. I, I hesitate to say it, but it does feel like when I'm watching this, I'm like, we are very lucky that we have this footage. Like, this is a really cool story that, that everyone else can enjoy now because you can sit there and tell people like if you, if you go on a big hike or something or, or you do something cool, you can tell people all you want. And be like, it was so cool, it was amazing, and it just isn't going to ring as true to them. But the fact that we have this footage and they put together the story for us, we get to feel a little fraction of that pride that they felt. And to me, that's what that's that's what's so cool about this film. Yeah, and that's what goes to the heart of documentaries, which is you can kind of uh, uh, through proxy feel some kind of uh, uh, in this case joy and also like achievement. In, in, in your own way. And what's cool is you can then apply it to your own life in the smallest of ways, which is very cool. That's what I love about the docs is, is uh, you see them overcome and then you go, wow, they overcame this huge thing and all these obstacles. I think I can get up tomorrow and run a mile. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's pushing it half a mile. Okay. Maybe half a mile. Yeah. I'll start there. <laughs> But it does, I mean, that, and I think, and it's nice to see, uh, you know, and this is a good kind of, not a wrapping up, but this is a good kind of, we were talking about at the beginning, it's nice to see a documentary that has, it has uh, sad tones, like, which is life. We all experience tragedy. And um, 
but it has this, this kind of wrapping in a bow success, which is, it's nice to see a nice resolute finish because a lot of the documentaries, and I still love them, but a lot of the documentaries now have a lot of negativity and a lot of kind of dark uh, atmosphere, you know, and yeah. this film, I mean, it has moments, so it's real and it, some tragedies, um, but it, it's mostly about perseverance and positivity. And I think right now, with all the shit that this world's been through in the last year, I think now's a good time for people to watch this. Yes. Probably should have started the, the podcast with this. And probably should have told people, stop what you're doing and watch this movie. Go watch the movie. Absolutely. Yeah, because no th this film is, it's, you just, you got to see it. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, it's not a film. Like I said, Free Solo has gotten a lot of attention and rightfully so. It's fantastic. But Great this movie, I think, is, is right up there as well. And I, I just... I, it was just fantastic. It was a fun time. Comparison, uh, Free Solo versus this. I, they're both great documentaries. I think Jimmy Chin's a great filmmaker. I mean, not right. only, I mean, he's, he's a pretty outstanding personality when it comes to the things that he does. He seems like a really enjoyable person. Seems like it's, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of fallen in love with him a little bit here. Yeah. Um, yeah right. Um, but what I, I mean, hang out. yeah, he's a great filmmaker too, on top of all those other things. Uh, comparison, free solo versus this. What's the, if you have to choose with, uh, what do you choose? They're both great films, but. I'm, I'm, I, you know what? I haven't seen free solo in a minute. Um, I actually started watching it right after I, I finished Maru today, but I didn't, I didn't get very far into it. I was uh, tied up, but I'm, I think I'd say free solo just because the character, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Alex, the character, Alex something. something. He, he is far, he's just, he's far more fascinating to me. And we get to live in his world because there are three main characters in this one. We're kind of bouncing back and forth between them. Um, but with Free Solo, you really get to know him right. very well. And he's, he's a bit of a, of a conundrum. So I'd probably say Free Solo, but it's tough to choose because it's so close for me. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a valid point. I think it's it, with Alex, uh, it's interesting to, watch his personality. He's very, like you said, uh, he's an enigma in a lot of ways. Uh, his achievements fascinating too. I mean, being able to climb El Capitan with no safety ropes and, and just do it with your bare hands is incredible. Um, I would actually say I liked this more because I think I felt a little more. I mean, when I think they dip into the tragedies a little more and you start seeing people experiencing how to deal with, with death and then how to deal with devastation and disappointment and not being it. And so, and then I, I actually like the camaraderie of the team, like you mentioned. Uh, so I, I, if you, if you made me choose, I'd probably choose this one actually. Uh, you really can't go wrong. And no, you can't go wrong. And we keep talking about uh, uh, Jimmy and rightfully so directing, but he also, he directed Free Solo and this uh, with Elizabeth Chai Vassarel. Which I believe is his wife. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And so let's, let's give credit where credit's due. You know, it's not just him. He's not just the only mind behind this, but he, they are a fantastic duo 
with with these two films definitely I, I i just i can't recommend them enough it's just it's it's a it's a glimpse into a world that most people will never be able to experience firsthand and that's what a good documentary does absolutely absolutely uh let me let me let me i was going to get into google reviews because i had look <laughs> if i find a negative review on here i'll be pissed I will too. I will too. So I'm scrolling through and I'm not seeing a lot. Oh, I do. I Good. did see a one star two months ago from Isabel. Isabel. I already don't like her. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of Isabel. I don't like <laughs> Me that. neither. I don't like that name. <laughs> now, I, I don't even, now I don't like that name. You ruined it. I haven't, you haven't even read the, the review. I just said, <laughs> it says two months ago, one star. Oh, well, I can't see the, th <clears throat> okay. I can't see the thing because I have this school computer. Dot, 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 dot. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I mean, th this is the internet. This is, this is what we've given people. This is the democratization of of critical reviews this is our yes exactly okay uh getting back into it the next one that i can find that is it says good documentary go ahead exclamation point <laughs> how many stars is that one it doesn't even have a star rating go ahead so that's fine okay let's get into some real reviews here yeah. there's a couple on there um the we got a five star here. Um, a lot of not really diving deep into the breakdown. Uh, most of these reviews, I got to admit, um, five star from Michael. Awesome exclamation point. Real and real felt there, period. Felt there. So, Where? I don't know, but he felt it there. Oh, felt like he was there probably. I'm thinking that's what he was referring to. It's just his... Okay ability to describe that here's one from tanja good job one month ago by the way and i love this because i think this is applicable to all of us like we just mentioned she says riveting jimmy chin's films have kept me sane in the pandemic i agree i think that's that's very well put applaud that yeah we need we need more more films like this yeah it's it's good to, like we've talked about it's good to see positivity and inspiration right right don't go, I mean, if, you, if you're stuck in quarantine right now, don't go watch Dear Zachary. Let's just put it that way. We need, we need more positive documentaries. All the, uh, it's funny you bring that up and I want to get to that. All the other ones are really good. I don't find any negative reviews on Google. So, uh, you know, and then <laughs> uh, here's one from, I got to read this one uh, from what I can gather. It says from William, for a documentary, this story was put together really well. Absolutely amazing camera work. Interviews were great. A surprising amount of character development that you don't normally see in documentaries. Not sure I agree with you there, William. I don't think William watches a lot of documentaries. So far, he was doing good. And then he said that line and I was yeah. like, get out of here. Yeah, you know, Some of the talking. music and sound effects seemed unnecessary to convey emotions they were trying to provoke. Okay. I actually, I, I agree with him on 
one aspect. I was not feeling the Eddie Vedder vocal thing. I like Eddie Vedder. I'm a I'm a Pearl Jam fan. I was not a big fan of. Is that the end of the towards the end? Was that what the song I recognized? They do it twice. So it's just him doing some vocal things with some weird droning music. They do it early on and then they do it at towards the end. And to me, it just was not. I like Eddie better. It was just they were trying to hit that note a little too hard. That makes sense. I was wondering why that seemed. I feel like and I hadn't heard it, but it seemed familiar. Um, I didn't know that was Eddie Vedder. He's got a fantastic voice. It just, I just, to me. Yeah. I, like, I mean, we're nineties like, kids. If we don't like Eddie Vedder, then we're probably not in the right era. It just, it just felt like they were really trying to hit us over the head with the, the emotion at that point. There was a good musical track towards the end that I liked. And I can't remember what the track is now. I'll have to look and see, but uh, it was a song I had heard before. So I was familiar with it and uh, towards the end. And I can't remember who sang it. Uh, but I thought it was actually pretty good. I don't know what he's talking. What do you, what does he mean by sound effects in that review? I don't know. No idea. Isn't a doc- What is the hell is he talking about? There are a couple moments with Foley, like when they're walking in some B roll and stuff like that, but it's, it wasn't, I wouldn't say sound effects. Yeah. That seemed a bit, but two people found it helpful. So. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> but hey, you know, if you a- only have a good job, right. There's only about 18 reviews. And then the other ones are like brilliant, absolute game changer, all these kind of things, yeah. which are all ones that I agree with. Now, as we're getting towards the end here, I did want to ask you this because you mentioned uh, Dear Zachary, which to me as a filmmaker is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. I agree. Only because... I mean, for many reasons, but so I shouldn't say only, but one of the reasons is the mere fact that while making the documentary, he, the whole thing evolves a different direction and he's got to pivot and the way he does it and still makes an absolutely fascinating documentary based on an absolutely tragic story was, and it's like, it's, it's fantastic. So the point being is if you're looking at documentaries in general, where do you rate this or what are other documentaries that you would suggest? And it's funny that you said that because I would actually suggest to anybody listening to find a, not now, let's wait till the pandemic's over. Yes. Good point. We've but dealt with enough trash. One day you should, if you're, you should watch Dear Zachary because that. It's one of those movies where if you're, if you're a fan of documentary film, you, you have to watch it. You need to watch it. Yes. But then you never need to watch it again. Yeah, it's not a rewatch. A lot of times no. documentaries aren't. There's a few you could probably put in that category. But, but I was going to bring that up because that was the, my suggestion. So you brought it up already. Do you have any other suggestions for documentaries? That you, you know, I do. And if I hadn't been put on the spot, I would have a bunch, but I can't, my, my mind going blank right now, but there's, I mean, there's a ton. Let me, um, I'll give gonna... one more that I loved that's even more recent okay. that I thought. And, and, and for those that haven't seen it, it, it won the Academy Award. I want to say 2017, 2018 called Icarus. I haven't seen it. No, is, is that's about the doping scandal, right? Yes, and it's and it's also fascinating for the same reason to me that Dear Zachary is, 
uh, in, in terms of the format, which is they started out one direction and then the whole story pivoted and the filmmakers had to go, oh shit, we got to readjust. And they did it so brilliantly and the, and the story just unfolds. And so it's got, it's got a lot of journalistic uh, vibe to it, if that makes sense, but it's great. So Icarus would be another suggestion. That one you can watch during the pandemic. You won't be absolutely disappointed or saddened. It's, it's not, it's not a pick me up like this one, but uh. I do like, I like a lot of the HBO documentary series, like the Jinx. I thought was really good. Although I thought, I think it was Andrew Jarecki. He put himself as kind of the forefront towards the end there, and that rubbed me the wrong way. But it's a, it's a fascinating story. I think, I think it was outstanding. What did you think back in the day? I can't remember the year it came out, but it was kind of a, 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 a pretty big doc was Super Size Me. What did you think of that one? I liked it. Um, I was fascinated by the idea that he could take himself and run 90 minutes over a story about feeding himself McDonald's for 30 days. Right, right. Uh, I, I didn't love it. So I said I liked it because I, as a filmmaker, I can appreciate his ability to make a movie about that topic. And I think craft-wise, he did a good job. He's very crafty and he's, enter, he's, enter, he's entertaining to watch, right? So there's an appeal, uh, but I didn't love it. I don't need to see it again. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. I was... When that came out, it was a, it was such a big for a documentary. It was a big film, and I don't I don't quite understand why. I'd I'd rather go watch Magic and Bird: A Courtship of Rivals on HBO. Absolutely, which I the last, the last dance. We're, I mean, we're basketball fans, obviously, but I I know lots of people who watched The Last Dance who aren't basketball fans and were just as fascinated by it. I think that's one of the best documentaries in ever. I, I agree. Um, and I'm was, probably biased because I like Jordan and I grew up in the 90s and I watched basketball all the time, but I loved that documentary. I mean, it's lacking in some areas, just like every documentary is. And, and sometimes you question the v validity of some of them, but uh, there's some stuff in there that I wonder if, if it's exactly as it's presented, but that's okay. I mean, look, you needed, you needed Jordan's buy-in in order to do that series. Yeah, and absolutely. If Jordan didn't have say in, in how he was going to be presented so uh well, but they it, were the, everyone the conversation's up now everyone's going lebron jordan jordan had to come out with the documentary to go hey everybody little reminder here i'm the guy you know i'm gonna tell you this it worked on me because we kind of forget like we we, we know jordan's fantastic but time goes on and it fades from memory a little bit yep. but then you watch him playing in this in this doc and you're like oh my god he was I forgot how insanely talented he was. Yeah, I honestly believe that because they had to get Jordan's buy-in. So I also believe that from a PR perspective, Jordan was like, let me remind everybody in the LeBron era who the GOAT is. Totally. Absolutely. He doesn't like the fact that people are, are putting Braun up on, on his level. No. Yeah. And it worked on me too. I went, oh yeah, I forgot. He is the GOAT. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, let me ask you this, then we'll get into the, some, the summations. Uh, What's the essential element? We talked about documentaries and this, this one in particular. What's the essential element of a good documentary? What's the, 
what's the requirement to make it fascinating? Uh, well, much to William's disagreement, I think it's characters. I think you, you have to have strong characters that are fascinating one way or the other. Otherwise, I'm not going to care. Because I think the characters have to draw you into the story. Because you can have a great story, but if, if you don't have a character right out of the gate that grabs people in a dock, I'm not sure they're going to be paying attention. Right. right. I don't you, think you need to long enough to get to the story, I should say. Right. You need the face. You need the face of the story to be engaging, to get you into the story. Yes. That, I mean, that's, that's my answer. What, what about you? No, I actually agree with that. I think you need, <clears throat> I would, as a, as a cop out, I would say story, but I like what you said, which is in a doc, you need the face to get you into the story. If the face isn't there, then the story doesn't, doesn't carry as long. Like right. it's not, it doesn't have the same potential at least, at least for new viewers. Does that make sense? Like if you've never seen it and then you're like, oh, you're interested in the character and then that pulls you in and then boom, their story is fascinating, then it's a win-win. Right. I, I think even, even in Maru, if you had different characters with the same story, I'm not sure it would be, I think it would still be great, but I'm not sure it would be as, I don't think we care as much when they, when they reach the summit. We'd yeah. probably, but I don't think we'd, we'd be that excited. And this is, and we go back to this, and I don't want to sound like a, a dead, beating a dead horse, because in addition to good characters and stories evolves from that, I want to, for me in a documentary, uh, see conflict. I want to see struggle. Yes. You know? And I think that matters in some right. way or another. It doesn't have to be absolute tragic like Dear Zachary. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But but I want to see conflict and struggle. And I think that's important in a documentary. God, can you imagine directing or editing Dear Zachary and you have to live with that uh, subject matter constantly for the duration of the of post-production, I mean, production and then post-production? That's why I put it up there in my top films in terms of docs because that i don't forget his name i'll have to look it up that guy he he filmed it he directed it he edited it and he is a hell of a craftsman in the ability yes. to put a, a story together he's a great editor by the way the way that he's edited is amazing it, it really is kurt kuhn is was the director and man i just Living with that, I mean, that's that that's traumatizing. But, but what you're saying, yeah, living with that devastation and also the personal attachment in his case to the subjects, which yeah. is absolutely devastating. So, but I think you're right. I think character, and then I think that ties us into the story. And then I additionally want to see that conflict and struggle. Um, give me a little, uh, give me a little summary on this one, Alan. Give me a little, I think we've kind of, chopped it up and, and kind of clouded this thing to be what it is, which we both really, really liked. I'm curious to see where you sum, you summarize it and kind of where you rate it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, little nitpicks here and there, but nothing, just it's nothing that's going to ruin anything. It's fantastic. I think right now people should be watching this kind of stuff just because we need a reminder that, that the that human nature can rise above awful circumstances and i wouldn't say 
these people dealt with awful circumstances. They definitely dealt with traumatic circumstances. But I think we just tragedy in there though when you start losing people and yeah, without a doubt. But I, I just think we need a, re- a reminder that as human beings, we can rise above that and we can accomplish some pretty incredible things. And it's just a, it's a good time to watch this film. It's just it really is. It's just it's a metaphor for what we're going through as a society right now, and I think it's great. So I'm I'm coming in with a rating of eight point two bowls of couscous. <laughs> that's a real you thought about that one i did i I, th- I did as soon as i saw it i'm like that's it i'm using that that's fantastic and so what so what was the it was 8.8 is that what you said 8.2 8.2 sorry no i'm gonna go 8.5 oh he's bringing it in hot and I, heavy i am i can't remember i had something else recently that was an 8.5 i don't remember what it was alan is that higher than tcm is that higher than texas chainsaw no. Chainsaw is nine. That was a nine. Chainsaw is a nine. Okay. I couldn't remember. Oh, I'll bring it back to 8.2. I'm going back to 8.2. Oh, he's getting fidgety. He's getting Roger Ebert on us over here. I am. I am. I'm revising. He's retracting. Retracting. That's good. That's a good score. I like the couscous. Those that watch the film will understand. We won't get into that, but they'll yeah. get it. They'll get it. Yeah, it was a fun little moment. Um. 89% Rotten Tomato from critics, 91 from audience. No surprises there, I don't nope. think. And then uh, 7.7 on IMDb, which is actually pretty high. As soon as you get into the high sevens and the eights, you're in new territory on IMDb. Yep. Uh, I mean, we've kind of said it. And I think this documentary to me is inspirational. Um, it's got a, a real sense of imagination and kind of leaves us uh, inspired to want to go do something, whatever that is. It even, like I said, as silly as it sounds, it makes me inspired to go, hey, I'm going to go run a mile. I'm going to start doing this. I want to do that thing. And, you know, there's a, there's a physical inspiration to it. Um, it's thrilling. It's exhilarating. I like that it's accompanied by the, the, the landscapes and the people and those things, the cultural stuff, uh, which are interesting to me. Just really well made uh, ex- by an extraordinary athlete in Jimmy Chin and all the athletes that he covers. I thought it was fantastic. I come in. Uh, you're at eight point. Did you go back to eight point two? Yeah, I went back to eight point two, but I'm already <laughs> that now. Who knows? <laughs> when the podcast isn't over, you have time still. Yeah, I'm uh, gonna. Get there. I'm going eight point four. Avalanches. Ooh, good. And that's a good well, one. It's a little dark one, but it's, but it's, uh, yeah. they, they persevered so, through them and they came out on the other sure. end. That's a lot of avalanches. Uh, I will say it's on, it's on Amazon prime. Maru is on Amazon prime. Free solo is on uh, Disney plus. Oh yeah. So you have access to those. Additionally, yeah. you know, we're talking about documentaries uh, that are, if people are looking for more inspiration, both of those are good because they're more, inspiring and, and negative. However, I did watch Night Stalker on Netflix and that was really good. Um, really did you really watch good. that one? Yeah. It's, it's not inspiring. It's dark. And that dude's, uh, I didn't realize how crazy he was. He's nuts, dude. Like he, I, I had no idea he attacked that many people. I didn't either. I had no idea that he was that prolific would, in his murders. <laughs> On set. I, it, as far as serial killers go, 
they usually stick there, to a path. Yeah. He's up and there he, in terms of all time. It didn't matter like a uh, woman, man, young, old child. It didn't matter. He was after everybody. Sick bastard. So sick. Disgusting. Uh, there, there was another one. This is kind of a dumb little doc. And, and now that I've thought, thought of one, but it's, I thought it was kind of fun. It was, it was on Netflix. I don't know if it still is. It's, I think it's called video games, the video games, the movie. And it's uh, just a little, a little doc about a couple different indie video game producers. I'm not super into video games, but I thought it was really interesting. And it was again, a look into that world and some great characters. So check that one out too. That's off the top of my head. Uh, two for you. One is King of Kong, which is a, basically <laughs> it's a fistful of quarters. Yes. King of Kong fistful of quarters, which I've is basically seen- a documentary about this uh, aspiring uh, video game arcade player who wants to become the, the all-time leader in and win King, uh, uh, Donkey Kong, the arcade game. And he, and, I th- and those that conspire against him to make sure he doesn't. And it ends up, it's, it's fun. It's, it's funny and also heartfelt. It's, it's pretty good to watch. I think he's a fraud too. I think it was, it came out later that he, he cheated. No, I, I don't could, think so. I don't I think could. so. Not, no, on, no. not on the, the one that the, not on the protagonist, they, the, Okay. The two of them, the protagonist and the antagonist, it came out later that he was a fraud. Uh, the one conspiring oh, to make sure. That's right. That's right. And that's in the doc and it's fun. It's a fun one to watch and it's silly, uh, but also like inspiring. Like you want him to win the, the, Kong, the, the Donkey Kong championship. Uh, that's what a good doc can do. It could take something as, as kind of dumb as Donkey Kong oh, yeah. and invested. Exactly. And then secondly, one that I'm fascinated with, which is a series that uh, I love space. Um, me and my son, we're nerds for space. We like to watch space rockets. We just like that stuff. There's one by D- the Discovery Channel, actually. It's a series. Uh, it just it was one season series uh, narrated by Gary Sinise. So uh, um, uh, what's from Forrest Gump? What's his name? Uh Lieutenant Dan. Thank you. Narrated by Lieutenant Dan. Uh, and it's called When We Left Earth, the NASA missions. And oh. if, any, if anybody love, I mean, the, 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 the home footage is NASA footage mixed with beauty. I mean, it's beautifully made. And it goes through the whole expedition of the time from the late 50s all the way to the 80s with the challenger of NASA's exploratory missions into space and the moon. And it's absolutely fascinating. Very cool. My, my daughter is obsessed with space. And so like she'll watch Cosmos over and over and over. The new one with Neil deGrasse Tyson. How, how old is she? She is nine. So my son's eight and he's fascinated by rockets and space. And he sat there, I mean, and watched this thing with me. Okay. I'm going to. And, gonna and it's it. more of a documentary. She may or not, because there's a lot of information right going on and it's not. But the footage is fascinating. So that's on Hulu if you have a, a premium subscription. And it might be on Disney Plus because I think it's Discovery Channel, which is Nat Geo, I think. I think, yeah. And those are all tied into Disney somehow. The yeah. Disney conglomerate owns them. I don't know. They own everything. Yeah. And so it's on Hulu, maybe Disney Plus. It's called When We Left Earth, The NASA Missions. Cool. Fantastic. So, well, Alan, this was good. This was a blast. I, I enjoyed 
also kind of uh, stepping away from some of the narrative stuff that most of the narrative stuff we cover and most of the stuff we cover is criterion or horror. So it's like yeah, this is a little bit different. all kind of negativity, yeah. all dark. <laughs> it was good. It was fun to be positive for, for once. Uh, and we'll, we'll have to do docs, some more docs in the future too, because it was fun. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I'm, I'm glad I, I didn't go into this preparation and viewing going, ah, oh, is I going to be, intellectually challenged or completely saddened i could just <laughs> i could just watch the movie and feel it for what it was and then come out ultimately with inspiration so i like that so this is the documentary from 2015 by jimmy chin called maru go check us out at tameaperture.com for previous episodes and make suggestions on future episodes this is Gabe and Allen with Team Aperture Podcast signing out. The Team Aperture Podcast is produced by Dutch Angle Pictures in association with Studio B Productions. Listen, watch, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube.